Welcome to Value Driven Life. I'm your host, Coach Chris McMahon, and today I am pretty darn lucky to get to sit down and talk with Jordan Syatt. So if you don't know who he is, well, clearly you're not on social media, clearly you don't listen to podcasts, uh, but he's pretty much a big deal in the fitness industry. He's an elite power lifter. He is a precision nutrition and Westside Barbell certified coach. He's also well known for being Gary Vaynerchuk's personal trainer. He also began Syatt Fitness, his online coaching business from his dorm room at the University of Delaware in 2011. And now he's one of the industry's leading experts in strength training, nutrition, and behavioral psychology. He also, uh, with Mike Vacanti, co-wrote the Wall Street best-selling book, Eat It, The Most Sustainable Diet and Workout Ever Made. Burn fat, get strong, and enjoy your favorite foods guilt-free. Did I leave anything out, Jordan? Man, I think that's it. I mean... I'm a short, bald, nerdy Jewish guy, but otherwise, like that's, I think you covered it. <laughs> so, so Jordan, I, first, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some compliments in the beginning. So, I'll just let you know this. Um, when I got started with this whole online coaching thing in 2020, I've been a coach now for 12 years, but in 2020, I got started, and it wasn't until last year I kind of stumbled across all of, all of you, all of your content, you and Mike, your podcast, uh, all your articles that you've written. And honestly, I, I sent you a few messages on Instagram, but you you have so many followers that I doubt you've ever seen them. <laughs> so that's okay. Um, but honestly, like you talking about creating long form content, you talking about just being consistent, being a human, being yourself, not really being afraid to just speak how how you want to speak, and that you'll reach the right people. It completely transformed how I led my business. And you know, in the last year or so, I went from barely scraping by to not as much scraping by. And it's it's important for me because, you know, I've got a young son. He's going to be three. I got my wife. You know, we're saving up to buy a home. So it's just really, really, really cool that there's such kind people in the industry who are humans and get to help other human beings also be humans. So I, ju I just wanted to give you a big shout out for that and and thank you a lot for that because because you and Mike, you do amazing work. But but I, I really... uh. I really benefit from everything you talk about. So thank you. Thank you a lot. That means the world to me, man. Thank you. I'm really glad to hear it. Huge congrats on on the little one. And uh, and I'm just really glad to hear that. And congrats on the hard work and the, the results that you're getting on your business. Like That's amazing, man. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, because I, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit today. I, I've heard you on like so many podcasts and we talk a lot about fitness and things like that. But for me, the thing that put everything in perspective was when when my son was born. You know, he was born during COVID, completely transformed the way I had to go about business. I also lost my job like the day after he was born. Oh, so it was man. like, you know, it was like this whole, this whole shift around everything. But for me, it made things apparently clear, like what is most important, how to really dial things in. And for me, because fitness has been a part of my life for, you know, the last 15 years, it's like, okay, I need to make all of this work. And for me, I don't know. I don't know if that's just a, a me thing, but for you, like you've been doing this longer than I've been doing this pretty much since you left the womb, you've been a coach. And uh, it's just interesting, like having become a parent now, like have you noticed a shift in in your mindset around all of this stuff, around all of it? Because, because it was already such an important part of your life, but maybe the way you, if we look at, if we look at Jordan in, in like 2016, going after it, doing everything, maybe not training as much, focusing so much on your business. I feel like in the last few months, I've just seen a shift where it's like, no, 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 family is very important. I want to be able to do X or Y. Do you find it easier to balance things out now with that shift in perspective? 
You know, it, it's interesting. So, I mean, I've always known that I've always known I wanted to be a dad my whole life. I, I always knew I wanted to be a dad. So that was never a question. And I also early on when I started my business, one of the main reasons I wanted to have an online business was because I wanted to like for my kids, like I wanted to be able to go to their sports games or go to the parent teacher conferences, or I wanted to be able to do everything and, and not have work as a reason why I couldn't be as present in my kid's life. So that was one of the driving factors behind why I did all of that. Um, so now that I actually have a, a beautiful daughter and everything, like it's, it, as soon as I found out my wife was pregnant, it was like, this is it. Like, this is it. Like I was, I was already in love with my daughter before she was born. As soon as, before I even knew we were having a girl, I was in love with her. And my mindset shifted then to what I needed it to be, to be like, to be there for my wife. And cause it was essentially like, I'm, I'm now there for two people, you know, like already, like making sure that my wife is okay. Our unborn child is okay. All of that. Um, so the hardest part for me is even though I'm now working less and I'm now more present with my wife and my daughter, the hardest part is breaking like the mental, the voice in my head saying, you should be working, you should be working, you should be working. The fear that comes up as a result of like, well, if I don't work now, am I not going to be able to provide for my family and God willing future children? So I do notice myself, even while I'm hanging out with my daughter and my wife, having those like thoughts. So it's sometimes difficult, difficult to be fully present because I am thinking I should be working. Um, but it hasn't been difficult just to do it. Like that's like, this is what I've been preparing for since I started my business. So I'm so excited and, and I love it. And I, I, I cherish every moment, but that's the most difficult part of all of this is the, the voices in my back of my head being like, you should be working, you should be working, you should be working, which I think is partly based off of how I was brought up and you know, we didn't have much money and money was always a big issue, partly based on the habits that I've set in stone for the last however many years of my business, 12 years of my business, like I've just been working nonstop. So it's hard to go from doing that for like 12 years to then cold turkey, boom, like stop doing that. Um, and also I think it's very, it's very much part of our culture. Like the, the American culture, uh, the Western culture is work, 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 grind, grind, grind. If you're not working, then you're not being productive. You're lazy. Da, da, da. It's one of the reasons why I like traveling to other countries because they, they work to live. They don't live to work. In America, it's very much like you live to work. And uh, it's one of the reasons I love traveling to Israel. I have family in Israel is because when I'm there, it's like, I don't give a shit about work. And I don't give a shit. I'm like, cool. We're, I'm out. I'm just with family. We're relaxing. We're at the beach. We're having coffee. Like, it's just the place where I can really just be fully, fully, fully present without those voices in my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting to hear it put you that way. Because... I feel the exact same way. There's this like level of expectation. It's almost like an excessive expectation for yourself where it's like when you own your own business, when you're doing all of these things, it's like there is no boss there telling you like, oh, you know, you promised that would be end of day. And really, if you're saying end of day to yourself, it's like, oh, all right, I guess that's tomorrow. You know, that, <laughs> you know, that that happens. It can happen very easily. And when you said that, it really clicked for me because, you know, the people I work with, I primarily work with with parents. Mm -hmm. And the thing that comes up very often is the same idea when it comes to their like nutrition or their training is like, if I'm not spending time with my family, like if I'm carving, it's almost like they use it as a way to say, or I don't want to say cop out, but use it as a way to be like, if I'm not, if I'm not spending time with my family at this point, then, then I'm, I'm, I'm missing out. If I'm not, 
if I'm not working or I, there's no way I could take like 10 minutes to go for a walk during work. It's like a lot of that comes up too. So it's interesting to hear you say it from that side as a parent to be mm. like, no, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to shut that part of my brain off. It just shows that, you know, everyone has that. Yeah. We're, we're all humans. We all, we all struggle with the same stuff one way or another. It really, it's one of the cool things about being a coach and interacting with so many people. It's one of the reasons like for on my podcast, my podcast was born out of me having the exact same conversation with thousands of people. I would, I would do phone calls all day, every day with people. And everyone would tell me the exact same fears, the exact same insecurities, whether it was clients or potential clients or just random people who followed me who needed help. Everyone had the same issues over and over and over. And no one believed that everyone else had the same issues. So I remember being like, I wish I could record these phone calls so other people could listen to what's going on. And finally, when I found an app that allowed me to record the phone calls, I was like, here we go. Like, this is it. And, and people fell in love because all, all people say is like, oh my God, I felt like you were talking to me. I felt like you were talking to me. And I didn't even really say that much. It's mostly the person telling me the things they're struggling with and people relate to it. So it's, we all struggle with the same shit, man. We really do. Yeah. And it's so interesting that in the world that we're in, where we're so connected to, I mean, pretty much curated everything. It's hard to think that someone else could be feeling or experience the same thing. It's like, when people hear this podcast and they hear you talking about how it's like, yeah, I have to shut my brain off sometimes and really be able to do that. They're gonna be like, wow, that's really surprising. You know? Yeah. He, that's really surprising that he can't do that, you know, or that Chris has a hard time doing X or Y. It's just, it's a nature of it. So I guess for you, Jordan, like growing up, I grew up, I grew up uh, with just my mom too. Um, and for me, what I saw from my from my upbringing was that my mom left really early. She came home really late and didn't really have the energy, didn't really have the time to do anything else outside of that while raising raising me. And she did so many amazing things. And my mother also goes by Nana, she called it. So Oh, I love that. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So so my son loves his Nana. But regardless of that, it it's just interesting for you, like seeing your mom do so much of that work, but maybe not prioritize her own, her own wellness and well-being mm. in that regard. Like, do you think that also shaped the way that you maybe approached this whole fitness thing? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Well, absolutely. Um, you know, I think there's, <laughs> there's definitely something to be said for young boys growing up in a house where their mom is like the main influence. I feel like, and this isn't like, I have zero science to back this up, no research, but among like people like you and me and, and many others who I've spoken to, many other men who grew up like with their mom being like the main role model and everything, um, there's often a, a lot more empathy, I feel like, in that, in that man. There's a lot more empathy and a lot more understanding and almost like um, a, a lot more emotion, a range of emotion than I found in a lot of guys who had either uh mom and a dad really looking up to or just just a dad um there seems to be a lot more empathy and a lot more range of emotion and that is probably a large part of the reason why the vast majority of my clients are women like 80 percent of my clients are women between 25 to 70. it's like i do have i do have men and i, I work with men but the vast majority of my clientele are women. And I, I would be shocked if that isn't in a, at least some part due to 
who I was brought up around and, and how I was taught to communicate and how I can feel and the empathy that I have. And it's also probably now that it's probably the first time I ever thought about it, like that's who I want to help the most, right? It's like, I actually probably want to help my mom the most. So I'm working with people who very much resemble my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I'm sure and it's funny, like this is literally the first time I've ever thought about that. It's like never even crossed my mind, but it, it's a great question. And realistically, that's got to be play at least some part in it for sure. Yeah, that's so interesting to hear you say that because I think about it, you know, when I first got into the industry, all I wanted to do was just work with people. I fell into this job. It wasn't what I was planning to do. I went to school to be an actor. I, there was no plan. I could act like I knew how to train people, but I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and as time went on, the more and more it became apparent that like the ability to listen to people and the ability to just, again, that empathy meter was really fine tuned over time. And now to be at a point where it's like, oh yeah, I just want to work with other, with I, I'll work with anyone, honestly, but realistically it's like working with another parent i'm able to i do see a lot of my my mother in them i do see a lot of my dad who has his own struggles and things it's like there's that level of just understanding the human condition a little bit that that i think makes a coach i don't know i just think it's something that when someone's looking for a coach is something that they they that meter should be somewhat in there too it's mm. not just a carbon copy thing there is a level of like kicking someone in the rear to keep going but also a level of understanding like wow probably kicking someone in the rear right now isn't going it's going to have the opposite effect dude it's why i always said if if i ever opened a gym which i will in the future but it's it's going to be different like if, if i was the owner of a gym and i had coaches underneath me which i don't think i'll ever do uh my, my gym will be different but if i ever did do that and my recommendation to all gym owners is I don't think any coach should have more than two clients back to back, right? I, th I think at most you should have two clients at most back to back, then at least a one hour rest before you go back to coaching again, because it is very quick for your empathy cup to be drained in those hours very, and depending on the client, some clients don't require much at all, but other clients will in that one, in the first 10 minutes will drain your entire empathy cup. And we, we see this with online coaching as well it's a little bit different, but if you're working with a hundred clients online and they're all emailing you daily updates and they're telling you all like everything and, and you are required to have empathy for them, it's so easy for that empathy cup to be drained. You have to put limits on how many you work with and how, how in depth you go and making sure you're giving yourself the breaks and rest that you need, because this is something I struggled with. Like I, I, I have so much empathy, but after a certain point, I noticed my, my empathy cup draining and my empathy cup getting smaller which I was like, I don't like that because it, and what it resulted in was number one, me not being as good of a coach, but also not as good of a boyfriend at the time. And, and now husband where it's like, I come home and I have, I would have no empathy for my girlfriend to tell me like what, what she was going through. It's like, well, that's not a good partner. It's like, I can't give away all of my empathy just at work and then have none of it left for those who love me and who I love. Um, so yeah, it's, it's absolutely something that is, it, coaching isn't just about knowing the science. Coaching is not just about, hey, like this is how it works. You have to eat less and move more. And here's the equation and here's the right technique. Like that's important. But I know amazing, amazing coaches who are not the greatest with that stuff, but they're such good listeners and they're such good people who encourage you and they're so empathetic and their clients get better results because their clients know that the coach actually cares. 
when, when you know that your coach cares about you, you're actually more likely to be consistent with anything. And so you, it, I don't care how smart your coach is. If you don't think your coach cares about you, you're not going to really put in a lot of work that's needed in order to achieve the results you want. Yeah. That's such a, that's such a amazing way to phrase that for someone, because I don't think people sometimes can realize that there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes. When you are coaching someone, you do take that in, you do have to set boundaries too, right? It's, it's one of the most important things that you can set, but it's also like, if, if you're just always at someone's fingertips, one, you're doing them a disservice too. You're not allowing mm -hmm. them to develop their own self-efficacy, their own autonomy around everything to make mistakes and actually learn from that. And the other side of it is, is like, great, I'm getting a test message at like 7 p.m. Like I'm watching The Bachelor with my wife. Like what, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like it, it, it very well could easily drain you in that regard. For you, do you find that it's it's easy for you to set these sort of boundaries for yourself? I know you do via like on social media. It's like my family life is my family life. Mm. You know, that doesn't need to be here. You can have bits and pieces of it, but that's mine. That's my special place. And I'm the same way. My son's not on social media. My wife is on there sometimes, but usually has me take down whatever picture because she didn't approve the picture before I put it up. So it's very <laughs> much there. So it's like even I don't have a huge following like you, but it's like there's still this level of self I need because I don't mm. have a clock that I punch. Yeah. It's like, I'm a little bit of me is always out there. A lot of you is always out there. And even though you try to keep it a small portion of yourself, do you ever notice that or have anything around that? So it's, it's become easier for me, especially with social media, mainly because it's, it's not to one individual when it's to an audience as a whole, it's much easier for me to establish a boundary. And at first it wasn't at first it was, it was very difficult and that created a lot of anxiety trying to please everybody. Like that was a huge fucking issue. And, uh, there's a point right around, uh, right around the start of COVID where I was like, fuck it. Like I'm either going to throw social media out altogether, or I'm going to come in with a vengeance and just be super strict with my boundaries. And I, I, I went be very boundary specific and, and that went worked really well where I struggle with boundaries is with individuals because when I'm speaking with one individual, I can very much feel what the other person is feeling. And I hate letting people down and I hate feeling like someone is upset with me or, or sad because of something I've done. I hate that. I absolutely, it's like the, the worst because I take on all of their emotion which was very difficult early in my coaching career, because if I had a client who was upset that they weren't making progress or upset that they had a binge or something, I would take on all of the emotion. And I was like, Oh, like it, it, it just hurts. It's really difficult. Um, so where I still struggle to this day is with individuals, individual boundaries. I've gotten better. The, the two P the two groups there that, that I can be very good at boundaries are either social media, or if I just truly do not like the individual. If I really purely do not like that person, no problem setting boundaries. Yeah, no, like not interested. If I like you even a little bit, it's very difficult for me to set a, a real boundary. Like, yeah, call me anytime, text me anytime, like any of that, because I just, I just want to help. But if I don't fucking like you, or if it's just like an audience as a whole, I'm much better at setting boundaries. Yeah. Do you find that since you, since you've gotten better with setting boundaries there, like on social media, does that leave you with a little more in that empathy cup when when you're with your family? Mm -hmm. And therefore, when you're trying to like 
interact with people one-on-one, does that kind of flow through your mind too? It's like, I got that cup. I got to think about the cup. I know that's well, a weird phrase to say, but I hope it catches on. I and, think about yeah, no, it makes, so <laughs> it's actually interesting. I actually think I forget the law, you know, there's a law. I forget which one it is. It might be Parkinson's law. Not sure. There's a law that says like whatever time you have available, it will like fill up in order to, uh, I forget the fucking law, but it basically is like, if you have five minutes to do it, you'll get it done in five minutes. If you've got three hours to do it, you'll get it done in three hours. Um, I found something similar here where I have my cup. I have my empathy cup, right? And it could partly be filled with social media. It could partly be built, be filled from different one-on-one people. It could be filled from my wife and my daughter, my mom, whatever. There's a certain number of people and, and things that will fill it up or that will like drain it. We'll say, um, when I got really good at setting boundaries for social media, it gave me much more room in my cup. But then because of that, I ended up giving more space to individuals, right? So it's not like, oh, well, cool. Now I just keep everything the same. It's like, oh, no, now this random person DMs me on Instagram. So I'm going to give you my full my phone number and we're going to get on a phone call. or I'm going to meet you and your mom for coffee. And then I'm going to offer to write a letter of recommendation for you, which is a real story, by the way. This is ongoing right now. Met this random kid with his mom in a coffee shop down the street from where I live. Offered to write him a letter of recommendation. Like this just happened a couple of weeks ago. This is a... Like, so it's as, as much as I've gotten better at it in some cases, it's just, I just fill it up elsewhere. So it's, I don't know if that's a me thing. I highly doubt it's just me. I'm sure this is people do this all over in many different ways, but yeah, I, I still struggle with it without question in many, many ways. Yeah. I think, I think it's a very common thing. I mean, it is for me, it was for a really long time and being in therapy and figuring all this out. It's like, you know, being an only child and being with a single mom, it was very much, I just wanted to have my mom be happy. So then you transfer that onto other people. So yeah. there's like this level of like, all right, if I keep them happy, then I'm okay. And if I'm okay, everything else is okay. If my wife is happy, I'm okay. If my, And then there's this level of where you have to go a little deeper and be like, okay, what about me? Mm. Like, what about where I am? So again, it comes back to that idea, Jordan, of, of that level of feeling like, how do I how do I set time for me? How do I create that for myself? When you're working with a client, Jordan, or when you're working with your inner circle members and you have someone who comes to you and they're like, I want to make this time to, to exercise, but I have this level of guilt around making this time for myself. How do you like to approach that? I know how I approach it, but, but for you, how do you kind of help them walk through that? Or if it was someone one-on-one, -on -one, how would you help them walk? Yeah. So it's, you know, as you know, better than anyone, it, it really does depend on the individual, but Usually I'll start by asking why, like what makes you feel that guilt? And for some people, who knows, maybe it's because that's the only time that they have with their kids or because maybe it's not the only time they have their kids, but any time they're not with them or with their spouse or whatever, they feel they're, they're guilted. Or maybe it's, you know, a certain family member is I've had, I had one where I remember where someone's, uh, their, their parent was really sick their parent was really, really sick and they didn't know how much time they were going to have left. And like, they were feeling really guilty for getting in their workouts, even though like they, they, they had this cognitive dissonance of on one hand, I need to get my workout in for my mental health, but I'm also hurting my mental health by working out. Cause I feel guilty about it. And it's like, it's, it can be really, really difficult depending on the situation. Um, and I think for me, I think a lot of people have this idea in their head where it's like, okay, well, there's a right and a wrong answer to this. One is right. And one is wrong. 
And it, very few things are black and white like that in life. And I also think that along those lines, people have this idea of, okay, if I make the right decision, I'll feel good. And if I make the wrong decision, I'll feel bad. It's like, well, I don't think it's that simple. I think you could make the right decision and still have negative feelings that come with it. And that's okay. I think it's okay if you feel guilty and then you feel guilty about feeling guilty. It's a it's a very negative cycle to fall into. I think a lot of people do. People feel guilty about getting the workout in because they're not with their family. And then they feel guilty that they do feel guilty about that. It's like, listen, if you feel guilty about it, but you know you need to for your health, feel that guilt. It's mm -hmm. okay. Feel the guilt and understand I, I'm okay taking on this guilt. I'm okay taking on this burden of guilt in order to reap the benefits that this exercise is going to give me mentally, physically, and emotionally. And also the strength later on down the road and all that stuff. So it's not to say, hey, you shouldn't feel guilty. In the same way that like, I, if I told my wife, hey, you shouldn't feel mad, I'm fucked. I'm in big trouble. Like, <laughs> hey, don't feel so mad. Like, okay, good luck. You shouldn't tell someone how to feel, including yourself. If you feel guilty over it, it's don't don't say, oh, you shouldn't feel guilty. It's like, okay, I feel guilty. And there's a valid reason that I feel guilty because I could be with my children. But I also know that if I don't do this, I won't be the best for my children. Or I won't be the best for who I need to be for others as well. So I'll accept this burden, bear the load of this burden. And then I know I'll be better for it as a result of it. I think it's a better way to approach it. Yeah, I think that's really a really good way to look at that, Jordan, is like oftentimes people think that they have to like crush whatever that feeling is. Like it has to go away. It can't yeah. exist, right? And the reality we know, the more we shove it down, the more we're going to have one, we're not going to want to work out at all or do the nutrition thing at all because it's like I feel like shit when I do it. But in reality, what it is, it's like I'm letting that guilt shift to shame. Mm. So I'm letting it go from like the thought of like, oh, I can make a different choice to I'm a bad person, mm -hmm. which is going to be further from the truth. It's like, no, you're being like, you're being a great person. You're, you're trying to be stronger so that like you can pick your kid up with one arm. You're trying, yes. you're trying to be, you're trying to be able to make it up the stairs out of breath. So like when the other kid jumps off whatever piece of furniture, <laughs> you can go get them. Right. It's like, if we put it in those contexts, yeah, it's a complete, it's a complete game changer for people. And I think it, it's, it's a lot for someone to process sometimes too. It feels very abstract. A hundred percent. Absolutely agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So Jordan, for you right now, because I know you, uh, I, I know that you do jujitsu and I know that you're training and I know your, your, your capacity for, for fitness is at a very different place than, than someone else. Um, but if someone was just getting started, like, and they're, they're a parent and they have so much on their schedule, like, what do you think would be the best place for them to start. We'll say, uh, and I'll give you someone. So it's not so much like, well, it depends on the person. Let's say it's uh, a mom and they have like two kids under the age of five and they're a stay-at-home mom. So like they're trying to fit, fit everything out and they feel like they just don't have those hours to do a mm -hmm. lot. What, what would you have someone start with? Walking mm -hmm. by far, like without question. The first thing is just get your steps in. Like you don't need, you don't need to have any expensive equipment. You don't like no, you need nothing expensive like just fucking walk um if your kids are playing and if they're like in the living room floor just walk walk around like walk around um pick them up walk around with them 
play with them, move. It, it's the movement. It's the like, it doesn't have to be actual walking. I don't care if you're on the ground crawling with them. Cool. Crawl, walk, run, like do anything just to move. It's the most important thing. Um, not just for like for weight loss, it's helpful, but for weight loss maintenance, I think it's, it's the most overlooked thing out of anything. Like if you, if you often lose weight and then regain it, well, one of the biggest missing parts of that is movement and just continuous walking. And, and so never mind the mental health benefits of it, the how the emotional benefits of it, uh, never mind like the, the, the framework that you're setting your kids up to see that your parent is always moving and, and prioritizing movement and exercise. Uh, there are so many great things that come from it. It's accessible to almost every single person. Movement is accessible to almost everybody. So movement in any capacity, but if you have the ability to walk, use that ability and use it often consistently throughout the day. Um, I think it's the best thing anybody can do. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely love that. A lot of my clients who are in this position, usually they are overweight. And that's that's the first thing we check off. It's it's literally the first thing we do is trying to hit hit some steps because that it also builds some momentum there. It's like, oh, I, I'm being successful with this. Let's try the gym now. Let's try, you know, so it meets everyone in a different place. For you, what was the biggest shift for you around walking? Because I know, like, I'm familiar with your story. I don't know if my listeners are familiar with your story about uh, talking about, like, blood pressure and everything for you. But maybe you could dive a little bit into how there was some sort of shift within you. Because I don't know how how much you were pro-walking, uh, you know, a few years ago or things of that nature. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been pro-movement and pro-walking. But the blood pressure is really what I think that was the... <laughs> like the the turning point right and if we we look at a lot of people who've made big changes in their life whether it's quitting smoking alcohol cessation losing a hundred pounds whatever like big big changes one of the things i love to do is i love to talk to these people and, and ask like what was the final turning point like what was the moment and they all have a moment they all have a moment and some people call it rock bottom whatever it is but what's really interesting to me about these moments is, and I've spoken to many people, especially around losing a hundred plus pounds. Uh, I literally just published a podcast about this yesterday, the day before, but I, like, I make a point to speak to people who've lost a lot of weight and kept it off for years. And I always ask them, what was the journey like? How, like, how many times did you try before and what made the last time stick? And out of everybody, there's only been one person who it wasn't this way, but out of everybody except for one that I've spoken to who's seen, who's done something as amazing as this, the moment was fear. It was a fear-based moment. The fear of dying, uh, the fear of not being able to do X, Y, or Z, the fear of whatever it was, it was fear. Fear was the reason why someone finally made the change, which is very often like what rock bottom is, right? It's like you get to a point where like, I'm scared that this is not going to like, you're sort of jolted into reality. Like, oh shit, like this might go wrong. For me, that was my blood pressure. Um, it wasn't outrageous, but for, you know, I was like, what, 28 years old or something. And it was like consistently like 150 over 90, which is like, not good. It's, it's not good. It's hypertensive. Um, and it was consistently in that range. And I realized I do have genetic predisposition for it. Many people in my family have it many people, but like 
at 28 years old and a health a health professional, I was like, this is not okay. And when I started to look into blood pressure and how important it is and the serious consequences of having high blood pressure, that's when I was scared shitless. And I was like, well, I've, I've got to get my shit in order. And then I started looking at what so much of the fitness industry had taught me that like, you shouldn't be doing cardio and cardio is going to ruin your gains and cardio will do this and cardio will do that. And then I realized like, oh my God, I haven't deliberately done cardio in like 10 years because of all the shit that I've been fed in the fitness industry, specifically around strength and muscle and powerlifting. And now I'm looking at a lot of these people in the fitness industry who are in their thirties and forties and fifties who are dropping dead. And I'm like, holy shit. Like there was a lot happened in a very short period of time where I was like, this, this needs to change immediately. This is, this needs to change today. Uh, and it did. And that's when I started really like focusing more on movement and steps and, and lower, low, like lower intensity cardio, but mainly just moving consistently throughout the day as often as I can, um, getting an under the desk bike, getting a walking pad that I have right outside my door. Like, so in between podcasts, I can get on for 10 minutes, um, making sure I, like every single week, my wife and our daughter, we go on several walks every week together, doing whatever I can, like even the cliche shit, like parking further away from the grocery store. Like I do that every morning when I go to jujitsu, I park in the spot. It's an empty parking lot furthest spot away from the door every day, go to the grocery store furthest spot away from the door. It's, they really do add up. If I'm getting my growth, when I bring my groceries in, I used to do the thing where I would hold on to, I would try and do one trip. Now I deliberately take one trip at a time with one bag at a time. Cause I know it's going to rack up like 20 X the steps just from that. Um, these are just the small little things that I do every single day to try and get my steps up. And it's made a huge difference. Uh, so, I mean, that moment for me was seeing a high blood pressure at like 28 years old. Yeah. You brought up like quite a few things there. The thing that's interesting to me is, well, the thing that needs to be reminded to people is that literally it does not matter what kind of steps you're taking. And they are all steps. They, yeah. they all count. I think people think that I don't, think people I've had people clients who are like, well, unless I go for a 30 or 40 minute walk, it doesn't really count. And it's like, no, literally, yeah. it's just the fact you're moving. The number can be arbitrary. It's just I want you to move your body. Yes. You know, there and the, there are just so many benefits to it mentally as well. I mean, because for me in my own journey, it's like I, I've been sober since 2019. So for me, my rock bottom was different than your rock bottom. But it's like, yeah, I'm a health and fitness person and I have all this other stuff going on. So, and my family, like I have a family and I want to have a bigger family. So it's like, there are all these things at play. Mm. You find, do you find Jordan in your life, you've had more than one of those moments or does that feel like the primary one for you? That's just been like, Oh, no, I've, I've definitely had multiple of those moments in, in different capacities. Um, I mean, I had, <laughs> I never thought I was going to get married. I, I never thought I was going to get married because I, I saw a horrible marriage growing up. And it, so I saw a horrible marriage and I love stand-up comedy. I, I love stand-up comedy. My brother's a stand-up comic. Um, we grew up watching stand-up comedy together. And one thing that we can basically everybody who can agree on is stand-up comics are funny because what they're saying is true. They can find truth in the most usual mundane things and bring out the hilarity in them and the things that we do and the things that we see. And not just stand-up comedy, but even, you know, like uh, sitcoms and TV stuff. Like it's just normal everyday stuff 
that we almost over that we not almost that we do overlook that then will be brought to light and it's hilarious. And every stand-up comic was talking about how horrible marriage was. Every stand-up comic is it's like, oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's this. And it's like a huge, it's a common theme in movies and TV shows. And meanwhile, I'm watching an, a horrible marriage unfold in front of me that thank God it finally ended in divorce. But like I, I was like, why the fuck would I ever, ever get married if everyone agrees it's terrible? Like, I was, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, and so for the vast majority of my life, I was like, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. And then, you know, I start dating my wife. And even early on, she hates when I say this because it's not like the whole love at first sight thing. But even early on, I was like, there's no way, there's no way. And then, the, like, I remember, uh, so I, basically, I asked her to move to New York. I was like, all right. I was starting to think about it. I was like, this could be real. But I was like, listen, I don't want to waste her time. At that point, we were like 27. I was like, it would not like, so, you know, let's move in. I don't want to like get married before we're living together. Cause we were, she was in Atlanta and I was in New York and she moved to New York. And within like three months, I was just like, she's the one, like, this is it. Like, it was had like a, a, it wasn't rock bottom. It was just like a, this is a moment that I'm having. It was like, she's it. And I got to the point where I realized, my life without her would be infinitely worse. So I was like, there, then that's it. Here we go. Like, I want to have a family with her. I want to marry her. I want to be with her forever. Um, so I've had multiple of those moments in health, outside of health, all these different things. But yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's part of life is these, these big moments that are few and far between, but they shape us dramatically. Yeah. They're like a light switch moment. Mm. You know, for me, I, yeah, I didn't think I would be, I didn't think I would be married. I got married when I was 26. You know, I didn't think I would get married. You know, I, I had a very serious girlfriend in college and she she passed away. Oh. So for me, that like flipped my mind around everything. I was like, well, clearly, clearly there's no big plan here because why would someone do that? And How did so she it, pass? She was in a uh, a biking accident, which layered guilt on me because... I was so into fitness. Like I, I, I was a super skinny bullied kid. And mm. in college I was a theater major. So it was like <laughs> that going on. And then they, they told me for this role, I had to go work out and put on muscle. So I, I got really into fitness and I would try to get everyone else involved with fitness. And so mm. I was visiting her family in Indiana for like a couple of weeks in the summer. And I was just like, I have to work out. And this is where like my relationship with fitness, I was like, ah, I have to work out. And they had some bikes laying around. I was like, all right, let's go for a bike ride. She's like, I haven't been for a bike ride. And so we went for a, we went for a bike ride and she like loved it. And it was this really windy, like cornfield, like, like literally looked like the wizard of Oz where she like grew up and, and I flew home. And then the next day she told me she was going, going to go for a bike ride. And I was like, you really shouldn't go for a bike ride. Like she went and, and she died. She was what? hit by someone under the influence. Oh, I was like that. And I God. was, I was, I was 19, you know, was I 19? I was, I was 20. I was 20. So it was like, it was like in an instant, everything changed for me because it became all right. Well, uh, I'm going to get really into fitness stuff now. Cause that's fuck therapy. I'm going to go do that yeah. route. But the other yeah. layer of it was like, well, relationships are bullshit. Like mm. that's kind of where my mind went. My my uh, my young male mind was like, well, this is bullshit. Like if, yeah. if that's a person, like 
and that can happen. What is the point? And then I, and then I met my, and then I met my wife, like the, like my senior year of college we, we met and I was just like, oh, oh, this can, oh, this is what it's, this is what I, yeah. Okay. Okay. And then we've been together ever since, you know, so that was, that Do you was, still talk uh, to the family of, of the, of your, you know, I did, I did for a long time and it was really hard because she was an only child. And the mm. thing, the thing that happened was, uh, they put a lot of pressure on me. Like it was a very much like I very much was like almost a living time capsule for them because yeah. for, for her name was Talia for her. It was very clear that I was the one. Like mm. she even said that to her mom and everything. And I, I felt that way too. I felt like this is, this is the person this, this, like, I don't see, and I don't know if it was being young. I don't know. And unfortunately, yeah. like, you'll never, I'll know. never know. That's okay. Yeah. But it, it very much was like, every time they talked to me, you know, they used to send me care packages and cards on my birthday. And then it got to the point where I was about to marry my wife. It was like, it was 20, it was 2016. And I, I hadn't spoken to them in a while and I'm also like a musician. So I sat down and like, I wrote a whole song because I, I couldn't like put it in normal words. And I wrote this song basically being like, Hey, like I, I told them that I was getting married and I knew that that would be really hard for them to hear because mm. they were, they took it really hard when I started dating m my wife. Mm. Um, and that was when I was 22 and here I am 26. So it was like, you know, and uh, I, I basically in the song was like, hey, look, I I hear her in like when babies laugh. I hear her. I feel her when it rains. I like she's a part of my life. It's mm. a part of the world. The world gets a little bit of her every day. That's what I choose to think of when people move on wherever they go, whatever someone believes in. It's like they they still gave a part of themselves to you. So it's like, even in my son, you know, I see all these things and it's like, oh, wow, that's like, you know, her, her, her middle name was joy. So it's like, when I see joy in the world, it's mm. like, all right, right on. Let's keep going in that direction, you know? So there's just so many layers to how you wind up where you are. A hundred percent, bro. So many layers to it. Um, I'm so sorry for that loss. I know it was a while ago, but still I'm, what a devastating loss. I'm so sorry, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that, man. But you know, it's just so interesting because there are just so many things that happen in your life that you can either look at it as like, this is, this is the worst thing ever. And like, it's going to be my thing that I'm defined by, or you, you look at it and it's like, okay, well it brought me, it brought me here. And mm -hmm. that's kind of where, you know, my sobriety has taught me that my, Therapy has taught me that my working with a lot of people has taught me that it's just like, whatever the choice is, you're not fucked. You're yeah. really not like, Correct. You're really not like, even when you think like, fuck, this is bad. You're like, Oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. There was that time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, when I think about, when I think about that, it's like, Oh yeah, that was a pretty crappy moment. But when I was a freshman in high school, I also like, got hit in the face with a baseball bat. That was way worse. Like, you know, yeah. so it's like, it's like, there are those things where you're like, no, that was way worse. That could have been, I, I could have probably died from that. Yep. Yep. That was worse. You know? So there's always like that end of the spectrum thing. I don't know. And being a dad, it's suddenly like, oh yeah. Like, okay, kid, like you're going to fall. It's going to hurt. 
but I promise you, you're gonna, you're gonna live. Like it's yeah. gonna be okay. I don't know. Your do- your daughter is so young right now and so adorably um, inflated with air right now. She's, just so, <laughs> she's so cute. That that's like the best stage. But they grow up. They they, it's fast. Like you yeah. probably can picture her when she was like a newborn, and oh, now suddenly she's like you know it's crazy. I see, I see pictures of her when she's a newborn. I'm like it looks like a different kid. If if I had taken, if I if 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 I would say if they had switched babies out. I wouldn't have known. Yeah. I, I would have no idea. Like it she she looks completely different from when she was born. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. 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 But it's like it, when you suddenly have this other human that yeah, you're providing for, it's like, okay, kid, like I'm gonna try my hardest to make it so that you don't need to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. try my hardest so that you can be aware of like these things that I wasn't aware of. And I think every generation, every family, every parent does that. And to some extent they succeed and some other extent, like no bueno, but that's okay. It's par for the course. Um, Is that something you think about a lot when you look at, look at that very cute baby of yours? Yeah. All the time. Like, well, the thing is, I also, I know I'm going to fuck up. Like Mm -hmm. I know for a fact, like I, I know for a fact I'm going to make mistakes and, I think, you know, the other thing is I often think that parents might think, oh, my kids are going to be like me. And then I look at my parents. I'm nothing like my parents. I'm like, I'm nothing like either of them at all. And uh, I think each kid is truly their own unique individual, regardless of the parent and what they've done or what they can do or any or any of that stuff. So I think I know I'm going to fuck up. I know I'm going to make mistakes. And I, I know I could do literally, it's, I'll tell you a story. My mom will never take credit for anything I've done ever. She will never, like, no matter like what I've accomplished, she'll never take credit. And people always say, oh, congrats, Jordan's done this, Jordan's done that. And she'll be like, tell him, not me. I'm not taking credit. And and someone asked her, she was like, why don't you take credit for any of George, what Jordan's done? Like you raised him to all this other stuff. And she goes, because if he fucks up, I'm not taking credit for that. <laughs> Right. And it's like, I love that because it's like, if I fuck up, it should not go back on her. That should go on me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I know I could do everything right with my kids and they could do some real bad shit or they could have their own, have some real, real issues, or I could do everything wrong and they could grow up totally fine and like, and just be amazing and all that. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot that's in my control and there's a lot that's out of my control and they're going to be who they are regardless. And I think, I, I think that one one of my favorite quotes, from a teaching perspective is a teacher's job isn't to tell you what to see. It's to show you where to look. Hmm. And, and that's sort of how I view my job as a parent. It's like, I don't want to tell you what to see or, or what to believe or what to do. I want to provide the structure for you to pursue what you want to pursue and what you love. And I want to provide support and accountability and discipline enough for you to feel comfortable to actually be willing to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's like what I want my child to be and God willing future children to be able to do. Um, other than that, it's up to them and God, you know, <laughs> yeah. that I, I can't do much more than that. Yeah. I think it's like this interesting level, you know, from like a coaching perspective, like if we talk about spheres of control, it's like, there's only, you only have control over the thing that's the innermost thing, but everything else, like it gets less and less as you go down the line. And with your kids, yeah, it's less and less. The only thing, the thing I try to do most with my son 
is just make him aware of whatever emotion he's having. Mm. That wasn't taught to me. You know, that that really wasn't taught to me. And I think for a lot of guys, it's it's not taught. It's mm -hmm. just not. And so it's a lot of conversations with him being like, hey, bud, I know you're frustrated right now. Frustrated is that weird feeling, right? You don't know what to do with it. But I promise you that it'll pass in time. Let's let's think of some things that we can do right now to pass it. You know, so it's like it's really powerful stuff to be able to do that. I wish my dad had sat me down and talked about those things. Mm. And maybe my son takes it. Maybe he doesn't when he's older. It doesn't. Really I was matter, just I was just know? thinking like at one point he's going to be like, oh, my dad just always talks about emotions all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's just like I picture myself being like Phil Dumfrey from from like Modern <laughs> Family, it's just like trying to lay wisdom. And he's just like, oh, fuck off, dad. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, you know, it, it, in this moment, it's like, oh, yeah, you'll never be this again. You'll never be this this age, this moment, this thing. Let's just yes. take advantage of it while it's there. You know, I, I'm sure raising a daughter is completely different too. one, probably much cleaner. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's the other thing. It's just like this the boys and girls are very different in that regard. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah. I mean, she's too. I mean, all I know right now is there's a lot of poop. And I was so lucky this morning because. Uh, my wife was out and, and I was, I had fed her and I'm just, I'm much less thoughtful with it than my wife is. So I fed her and then I was, you know, holding her over my head and spit up. It came, dude, when I tell like centimeters away from my open mouth, I was just like, uh, yeah. So that's a lot of what I'm cleaning up. I'm sure as she gets older, she'll probably take after my wife and in terms of cleanliness and, and all of that, which thank God, because if she took after me, it would be bad. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I think boys and girls are very different generally yeah. speaking on, on that front. Yeah, no, no, they are. There's a series of videos we have of my son just vomiting on me. There are so many <laughs> videos we have of that. And we also have a video series of my son getting blowouts on my leg. Like you would oh. have a blowout. And like, I lost so many pairs of Nike shorts in the first like four months of life. Um, there's no salvaging it, but look, Jordan, I, I know this might've been a different sort of podcast. I didn't know. I didn't really come in with the intention of it being talking about fatherhood or talking about like life in general like that, but it's been, it's been awesome to chat about that. Uh, before we wrap things up, I always ask everyone this one question. So is, and I don't know how you're going to answer it. Let's say you could travel back in time and you can choose whether it's like you hop in a DeLorean and go back or or if you do like the Avengers method and you just can go back and you can touch whatever you want. It doesn't matter. No butterfly effect here. Let's say you go back to the start of this whole fitness career. So mm. it could be when you're in high school. It could be when you got your very first client. It could be whatever. And you could give yourself one piece of wisdom or advice, not necessarily mm. to change anything, but just kind of like me talking to my son about emotions, just giving that, that information. What, what do you think you would tell yourself? I'm pr it's probably going to be surprising. Um, so I was very angry growing up and like younger and like high school, I was very angry. Um, and I just wanted to get rid of the anger. Like I want, I just wanted it gone. Sort of like what we were talking about earlier, like feeling guilty and just like feeling like the guilt should just be gone. I was angry all the time. And I, I just wanted to get rid of the anger. And I thought something was wrong with me because I was angry and all this stuff. And it actually ended up that the anger helped a lot. <laughs> like I was able to use the anger for so many good things. 
And it's funny now, I'm so happy and I'm not happy all the time. There are many things wrong in my life. I'm not, not perfect, but like it takes a lot for me to get angry now. And now I'm like, oh man, I wish I could get some of that anger. <laughs> like now, like I wish I could be angry again, like to, to like push myself to, to like have the chip on my shoulder and work harder. And da, da, da. like, if I go back and be like, Hey, you like, it's okay to be angry and like encourage myself. Like, hey, use the anger. Like just like pep talk, like it's okay to be angry. Like it's fine. Keep using it. Use it for good. Use that anger for good. It's not going to last forever. It's like you're burning a candle. It's a slow burn. Uh, but it's, it's roaring, but it's a slow burn. Like you're angry, but like use it, use it for good. And, and thank God that's what I did. Like I wouldn't change anything. I would just reassure myself that nothing was wrong with me. I, th I thought something was wrong with me cause I was angry. Um, and nothing was wrong. I was just, you know, I was a testosterone filled 18 year old kid. And like, I think I, I honestly getting into a different discussion. I think that's one reason why most armies are start with men, 18 years old. Like that's when their testosterone is at their highest and like they're just fucking angry and they will go do shit that they're told to do like horrible, horrible shit. And they're filled with anger. And, uh, thank God I wasn't enlisted in an armed forces. And like, I almost joined the IDF, but like my mom was like, I'll kill you if you do that. So like, thank God I was, I had great mentors and people around me and, and, uh, the thing that I put my anger into was towards making content and coaching and studying and helping people. Thank God. That's what I put my anger towards. But, um, just going back and reassuring myself that that's, it's okay to be angry and it's fine. Just use it for good. Yeah. It's like, it's really cool to hear that because there's just this level for most people when they're at that age, I know I experienced it where it just feels like you got like just a little bit of energy vibrating under the surface at all times. Mm. And you have no idea what to do with it. Like you don't know what your purpose is. Yeah. Like you, you're not supposed to unless, unless you have some divine intervention and suddenly you're like, yeah, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'm 17. I got this all figured out. <laughs> Bullshit. Um, but, but choosing what you use it for is a really like powerful way to look at that. And it's really, it's really probably empowering for other people to hear that because they can just be like, oh yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's supposed to be how it was. So mm. I, I really, I really enjoyed that answer, Jordan. For you, if folks want to, if folks want to work with you or they want to just be in contact with you and by contact, I just mean, see your stuff. Like what is the best route for them? Yeah, just probably Instagram or my podcast. Um, if you put the links in the show notes, that'd be great. But like yeah. Google my name, Jordan Syatt, and you'll find my podcast, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff. Yeah. And if they want to work with you, I know you don't really do one-on-one -on -one anymore, but you, you have inner circle where folks can, can join that too, right? Yeah. If they want, I would say, go look at my free content first. And I mean, you don't need the inner circle, like everything. I, I give everything available away for free, but like, if you want me to write your workouts for you and have all the information, you're welcome to, but check out my free stuff first before you decide to pay me right on it's it's great stuff i've been using it for a while so <laughs> uh thanks a lot jordan and uh everyone else go do great things because you can <laughs>